Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome, everyone, to Rock M Nation Podcast. This is a brand new episode of Dive Cuts. I'm your host, Sam Snelling. We are in season five, bringing you episode 16, following the absolutely earth-shattering home upset of the Alabama Crimson Tide by your Missouri Tigers. With me, as always, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? I'm Will. Um, I am not going to be writing a $5 million check to the basketball program, uh, so let's just get that out of the way now. I, I am not <laughs> that liquid. I cannot do that right now, um, but I am heartened that they got a win, so uh, it's a trade-off. I, I will say that uh, the way this season has gone, winning is better than losing. I feel like uh, I'm really going out on a limb here. Uh, and in particular, making baskets, Matt, is better than not making baskets. You mean, you mean the goal of uh, <laughs> Mr. Naismith's sport, to put the ball through the cylindrical thing and accumulate points for doing so is good. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm with you on that. That's a bold stance, but, but I can agree to it. I can agree that making baskets is a good thing. Um, and both teams made a lot of them. Nobody really stopped the other from making baskets. So uh, it was kind of a, it was more important than usual uh, on Saturday in Columbia. So, yeah. So Missouri won um, after coming off a of COVID pause, uh, they, uh, 
they did a lot of things right. Uh, Alabama, um, I really, we should probably start with Missouri, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to go this route. Alabama came out with what I would consider a really uh, poor uh, defensive plan. Questionable. To, to, <laughs> to stop Missouri from scoring baskets uh, by basically letting Kobe Brown get whatever he wanted. Right. Um, I would agree with the general premise, like in a vacuum, that zone a poor shooting team. Like, that's not a bad thing. Like, I, you see high school teams do it a bunch. Um, but to me, you don't do it when it facilitates the other team's best player getting touches in spots right where he wants. And where a zone offense for an extended 2-3 is, hey, Best player, flash to the mid-post and elbow area and operate from there. Well, that's where Kobe likes to work, and I I just, like, I get, like, it's two things where if you divorce them, it sort of makes sense, (laughs) but when you put them together, it's a very, very silly plan. You're you're really, really struggling uh, to make sense of the decision. Um, I, look, look, you know, I have... A few opinions on on Nate Oates. I tend to think he's a little more overrated than uh, than a lot of people seem to think. He's he is a I think he's a good basketball coach. I think he's a smart guy. I think he's aware of trends in basketball, and he's willing to kind of go towards those trends. I think he's kind of missed the mark a little bit with his approach at Alabama. Uh, I think in college you have to be able to play to your strengths, and strengths of college basketball players are not necessarily always going to be three pointers and layups um you know i i think you have to be able to diversify your offense and so i think i think from that standpoint there are a lot of things that i just don't think like nate Oates is at alabama he's going to get a lot of really good talent and so they're going to win a lot of good games because they have a lot of talent i don't necessarily agree that his offensive system is the right approach for the college basketball game there are fewer possessions than the than an NBA game. Uh, you have less skill. You just have to get good shots. And then defensively, I have no idea what they're trying to do. Like, like I don't understand how you could come into this game thinking that you're going to start out in a 2-3 zone when all you really had to do was play your pack line. Right. Just like li- limit Missouri's driving lanes. Uh, you know, pack in the paint, make them shoot over the top and contested jumpers. And that was really like not the plan for whatever reason. It was, it was really confusing. And Missouri, uh, I, I didn't look back at all, um, in previous seasons, but Missouri was like 1.3 points per possession in this game. And like they only put up 1.23 points per possession against Paul Quinn college. Right. The jump shooting today was kind of the difference there, but no, I thought, I thought at the end of the day, like people would say, Oh, they shot the ball fairly well. And they did. I mean, I don't want to take anything away from that, but they shot even with Alabama. The difference in this one, I think was they were just able to get those mid, if you were to like break down the scoring thing and it doesn't work this way perfectly, but I'm going to do it because it's easier to explain. If you look at the scoring by zone on the floor, Missouri outscored Bama by six in the middle of the floor. 
that that was the margin. And six of those points came off Kobe Brown catches against the zone. Like you could make an argument that Bama did everything it needed to do and literally gifting Missouri a 9-0 run to start the game <laughs> was the difference. Like that yeah. decision you could come back to and say that cost you this game. It and I I just and it was something where if you had watched, like if you believe most college coaches watch a team's last five outings, everyone packed lined this team out to hell and back. Like there was nothing on film that should make you, if you are a pack line team, as Nate Oates has said, we, they run, you know, three and free offense with a pack line at the other end. You know, Charlie Henry or whoever a scout has it should come in and go, nothing different, coach, just run our stuff. That's all we're going to do. And let's figure out how they're going to maybe try and gum us up offensively. But defensively, just take what we do off the shelf, keep it stock. Here's some actions we might want to try and limit. But to go zone just befuddled the mind there. And, you know, I think the other thing that was questionable was Charles Bediaco only plays eight minutes in this game. And I think I said last week on the pod, Bediaco is not a bruiser like Schwebway or Kofi Coburn, but he's big, he's long, he makes life tough at the rim, and Missouri is not, you know, shown it can be a really good rim finishing a team against a traditional big or a bigger post player. Well, Bediaco only plays eight minutes, and you have no Gurley on the floor. You're switching everything. You're putting your smaller defenders in terrible help positions. It <laughs> just it didn't make any sense. And I got, there were some things they were doing, like they would, if Missouri was running a step up action or they were running some stuff, they'd trap the ball screen, which made sense because you needed to do it to throw Missouri off because it was a pitch back to Kobe for him to drive out of those actions. So I got why they selectively trapped those, but I mean, I don't know why he needed to switch so aggressively. I don't know why you took a, a longer guy out of the paint there. It, there were just some, a lot of questionable things in the scout here. And look, Missouri, your job is to take advantage of those things. But I, just, I, on the initial watch and on the rewatch, I just found myself asking, what, what was the plan, what, and why? Yeah, just so over and over. I think, yeah, generally, you know, my take uh, is you worry about yourself way more than the opponent. When you're the better team, that's like. Just come on, run your stuff. Nine, it's like yeah, it's it's like ninety five percent of the, the thing is showing up and 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 focusing on showing up and playing well, um, and doing the things that you do well. That should be enough to beat a team that you're, you know, one hundred and fifty spots better than in in the Kempom stats. Like that should be enough, uh, and I really think like, I like I don't know did. Alabama overthink it? Like, did they, did they over scout? Like what, what happens when, and again, like you do have to give credit to, to Missouri. Like they came in with, you know, a pretty good game plan. Um, and it, it, it worked like whatever offense, whatever they wanted to do offensively, they, they got the shots that they wanted. Uh, and for the most part, like they, they did like all game long, like even when uh, Alabama was making some of the entry passes a little more difficult with, with some ball pressure, you know, Missouri was playing down 
two point guards. Like Missouri was still pretty good at you know making sure the ball got up the court, not turning the ball over, and getting getting decent looks. So, yeah, like it's it's confusing to me that you would have the superior, uh, you know, basketball team, you know, by, you know, what maybe every metric. 18 points per 100 possessions and just to come in and, and, and like play to your opponent in the way that they did. Like it just, it, it, it's bizarre. I think you made the great point. Your initial scout gave up 40 in the first half, which against this team is not good, but then you're a, and, and we should be clear, like halftime adjustments aren't crazy. Like you're not rewriting, you're not going, let's rewrite the entire game plan here. You're trying to make the most obvious two or three adjustments at the half as you can. Maybe you're tweaking some coverages. Maybe you're like, hey, these actions are getting us something we want to go to the, like you can speak to this better than I can, but you're not like doing a mass overhaul at break. No, you're making, you're, you're tweaking. You're, yeah, you're. Like there, you you go into halftime and and you say okay, like what what was not going well, what was going well, and then you you try to you know adjust in your second half, and and really it's all about just kind of like the first five minutes or so, right? Just to, to try to you know re- reestablish yourself coming out of the locker room. But Missouri ran in seventeen possessions in the first ten minutes of the second half. They had oh they had seventeen possessions. I think 12 of them were in the half court. They ran the same base action on eight of those plays and scored on six of them. It's, and what's funny is like, so like, and you kind of pointed this out in our, in our little Slack chat. Um, it's an action that, that had been crap. <laughs> yeah. Like th- this is not an action that was particularly good all year long. It's almost like, like, they were saving all their good possessions uh, using gut just for the Alabama game because uh, it was it was an effective offense and it was very very simple and basic which uh, it's it's wild you know like if I if me in my basement can spot gut chase handoff slip gut chase handoff roll ghost. And I'm not making $400,000 a year. I would have expected the defensive lead assistant for Bama to be like, Hey, Nate, they just keep running the same thing. (laughs) Like, so, and, and, and and so this kind of goes back to, you know, part of my belief in that, you know, like, like Alabama, what, what fixed Alabama last year was this sort of adjustment, you know, to their defensive approach. Uh, you know, they went to more of a pack line style, but they also had good defenders. Like, like they had two, like, they had two great guards who could switch everything and Petty and Jones, and they don't have that. Yeah. They, they, and, and while they didn't have great rim protection last year, they did have some solid post defenders and, you know, Betty Ako is young and he's a, he's a good rim protector, but yeah, I mean, he, you could see he was kind of struggling with the ball screen coverages and stuff like that. Um, I think actually he's the one who was guarding Trevor Brazil, and when Trevor got that that alley oop dunk, that was a drop coverage. But Ellis should have been ba- should have been tagging on the backside. Yes, so Ellis is another guy who I thought was pretty good defensively last year, and he's just been he's been okay. But I I never really thought like Shackelford or Quinterly 
uh, were guys that really cared much. No, no, you would particularly, particularly Quinterly. Like I've always thought Shackelford would play D when he wanted to, but I've never like really thought Quinterly was a guy who's just like, I'm going to lock this guy up. No, there were, um, there were plays you could, you could, everybody was, you know, failure has, you know, a thousand fathers here. You know, you could in the first half, you know, you could say, Oh, there's a guy helping up. Oh, no one tagged on that. Oh, that guy didn't fight over that screen there. That guy didn't call it. Like there were like Bediaco, I think, is young and you know, a fre- you know, a freshman is gonna make mistakes here. But I think the bigger problem was that there are some older guys like Joan Gary or, you know, who are just botching rotations. You're like, okay, even if you weren't an elite player last year, you should know your system well enough to know where you rotate from, where help should come from. And if you've scat and if you're running your system effectively, you should know what you're doing there. Or at least like on the Brazil lob, you know, if it's drop coverage and that big's not coming out and you're the, you're the guard at the elbow side, you need to get back and at least get in front and at least bump that roller off. So he doesn't just get a free runway to the rim. So there was, there were just things that you'd look at and you'd just go, those, I mean, Missouri's running its offense, but there's some breakdowns there. And I thought Missouri did enough defensively over those 10 minutes. Like, I think I tweeted this multiple times. Like, they banked enough stops early because Missouri was not great defensively in this game either, but they banked enough stops. They weren't great defensively, but they were, they did. Alabama also made like almost, almost every shot they needed to make that coming down the stretch to even make the, uh, the final score as close as it was. Right. Right. I mean, they were, they were making some shots. I think they, if you sort of considered like absolutely had to make this shot, I think they missed one, uh, one three within like the last two minutes. I thought there was one three that they missed. That's the one that Kobe got the rebound on. I'd have to go back and, and look then, at the math on it, but I think like once you get inside two minutes and the margins at three there, I mean, you can knock it down with, if you're canning threes like Bama was, you can close it. Most average shooting teams are not going to be able to close that gap. And I thought Missouri got to a point where it was really putting the game and shot pressure on Bama to get it close. And and to Bama, you know, tightened it a little bit. But, you know, I, I really think the one thing that shifted it was they went 4-15 out of the locker room. And they were not good when Quinterly was sitting. I mean, their offense for probably from about the 16 minute mark to the under 12 was just trying to attack Missouri in switches. Like it was their offense. I think that was the thing that sort of stunned me here. And this is, and we can, it'll be a tangent that'll flow into something. I promise here. (laughs) Bama got a lot of in the first half and through the early part of the second half, wasn't getting a ton off initial action. It wasn't like they were coming down in that first ball screen was destroying Missouri off a paint touch. They got a couple of broken floor threes. They got a situation where a defender went under on a DHO. There was a transition three, but really Bama's best offense was hoping Javon Quinterly could win his matchup in the middle of the floor. But which he did, which he did a lot of the time. (laughs) And, but Quinterly's O rating in the game was like one thirty. It it was crazy. Yeah, but he, was doing all, he was doing all right. He was doing all right, but if if Bama's offense is predicated on first paint touch kick, reverse, secondary drive kick, they weren't getting a lot off of that. 
I mean, Missouri, I thought, did a pretty good job, at least in the first half, on primary actions defending. There were some breakdowns on the secondary ones, and that's going to happen with the way Bama kind of spaces the floor. But really, the offense for Bama was just quinterly trying to get a 1-5 ball screen switch or you know, reading if his defender, if a lead guard was kind of backtracking a little bit and then attacking. So Missouri struggled at times, I think, and Bama hit shots down the stretch. But when Missouri needed to, it walled up in the perimeter and it did a good job recovering out to shooters. And it gave that offense time to build a, enough of an advantage to hold on. So just overall, like, again, we're, we're sounds like we're bashing Bama a lot because we are, but there's a lot of questionable decisions for this scout and like Missouri took advantage. I mean, that's what you should do. If a team comes in and decides to roll out some questionable game planning, you should punish them for it. And Missouri did that. And, you know, I don't know how durable what we saw is, but on the day, the the Tigers did what you would want them to do. And, and they, they absolutely made Bama pay a toll for it. Well, we talked a little bit about, you know, like like Missouri post SMU and post Utah, uh, really that, you know, you, you saw ways, and I think, think like you sort of look at those games as like games where you saw what Zoe sort of thought this was going to be um, more consistently than clearly it's been, right? Um, and so... But the, the entire time we were watching those games, you know, we come back to the pod or we we talk about, you know, uh, in a in a post after the game, and and the, the the prevailing idea is like, well, that was nice, but like you can't call it a trend until it's a trend. It's not a trend. One game is not a trend. It's an outlier, and Missouri's Missouri's not going to score one point three points per possession. <laughs> through sec play like they're just not like that's that's impossible um it's really like it's difficult to be that good offensively so you have to give alabama credit for being so poor defensively um to to give up that that type of offense but missouri's goal here and and this is you know why i sort of have this like prevailing belief that all the people that think like Conzo is just cooked, like I don't, I don't believe that because there's still too much basketball left and there's still too much uh, room for this team to kind of get to where, and, and again, like I don't think they need to be great, but they need to not be terrible and show signs of growth. And that's and, why this week and, is big. Right, and so it's like, so you you come out of this game uh, after beating Alabama. You have to go on the road. Uh, playing in Bud Walton is always a really tough place to play, uh, but you've won there, and you've won there recently. Um, out that Arkansas helps. That Arkansas has not been playing well. Um, I don't have. What they've done right in front of me, I know they're they've lost five like of their last or four, six, something like that. Five of their last six, and five three of in last a row. Six. Oh, and three in the SEC. Yeah, so they're they're in the basement of the SEC, and and there's two sides of it where it's just like, all right, they're reeling a little bit, but also like they were getting spanked uh, in the second half there at Texas A and M and fought their way back. 
I mean, they ended up losing by five. But that was that was way more of a game in like the last few minutes than it probably should have been. Right. Uh, they got spanked I think, in Starkville um, to open. Uh, they lose to Vandy at home, which I think that's going to be one where regardless of how good they are this year, you look at that and you just can't have, if you're Arkansas and you're, and you think you're going to be a team that is going to try and vie for top five in this conference, you just can't drop a home game to Vandy. You've got to hold serve there. And A&M just came out in the second half and just beat them up was more, you know, was better on the glass, you know, was more assertive, was more aggressive than Arkansas. And I think, the one thing, like even when you read about this team, you watch them, and even when you look at the numbers, is I don't know if they've got an identity this year, and that's always one of the downsides. I think to how Mus builds his programs a little bit is look going to the portal has clearly become something that's worked well for him. I, but at the same point in time, there's always the downside of. You're trying to merge a bunch of different guys. You're trying to create continuity. You're trying to create a sense of identity. Well, he's also used the portal in the past. Uh, you know, he did a lot at Nevada, uh, you know, and, and early on at, at Arkansas. But guys had to sit out. Now they come in immediately. Yeah, now they come in and play immediately. And so, and really, like, this is part of, you know, Conso's problem also is is you have to infuse those guys that would otherwise be sitting out and you have to infuse them into your program. Uh, like JD Note was a surprise uh, last year for me. Like I did not think he was so uh, inefficient as a lead scorer. What was it? Jacksonville or Jacksonville state Jacksonville. Um, and just not a guy who I thought who was going to be like a good player for them, but he sat out and, and you know, when you sit out, you work in your game, you, you, you're able to study it in a different way. Uh, I, I can I can vouch for that as somebody who actually redshirted uh, one of my years in college. And it's just like there's a different approach that you have to your development as a basketball player when you're not playing in games. And so there is some advantage to that. I, I, I My bigger deal here is I think, and we've talked about it before, Muss is caught in a position where you go get Chris Likes, who could be a potential all-ACC guy at Miami who was hurt last year. Adi's Tony was a really good two-way guard at Pitt. Trey Wade was a really solid contributor for Wichita State. Jackson Robinson, uh, you know, didn't have the season he wanted, but was a top 100 kid. Came in from Texas A&M. Those are dudes that come in and expect to see the floor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they are not transferring to sit. But Muss has also made it a priority to recruit in-state guys and get guys who are prep guys from in-state and balance that those guys out. One of those guys is a guy, isn't actually an in-state guy, but a, a prep recruit, Devo Davis, who played well down the stretch last year. Jalen Williams is from Fort Smith, which is just a stone's throw from Fayetteville. He's, you know, a guy who sees Justin Smith go out there and think, okay, I'm next in line now. You know, those two are sophomores and they're thinking, okay, we're in line for major minutes. But now Davis is sort of jostling with Note and Likes for, you know, a primary ball handling role. Williams is 
like a, a cutter and a roller and plays as a passer off the block, but he's not an offensive focal point for this team. Tony's Tony and Umud are kind of, and Stanley Umud, a transfer out of South Dakota, are kind of tertiary pieces there. But realistically, right now, what Arkansas has is a log jam in the backcourt where it's got three guys who all want to be point guard. And that's a problem. <laughs> And, and they also have, you know, KK Robinson who would, sitting on the bench, you know, I mean, not, not playing at all. And he's a guy who was a former, what was he like? He was top. He was a top 175. Yeah. So my point is you've got two potential factions here where guys are coming in and vets, they're not coming in to sit, but freshmen and youngsters like Robinson or Williams or Davis, they saw this a year ago. They came like, okay, we're freshmen. We understand it. We're probably not going to have major roles, but we'd like to grow into them now. We'd like to have an opportunity. And now you're jostling for that. And the other problem is Muss only goes six or seven deep. He's not rolling out a deep bench. So if you're only going two reserves deep, there's a lot of guys who aren't getting minutes. And the I, and you just look at the way the lineups have shifted over these games. I think he's searching for five to seven guys that he can reliably, you know, put out there every night. And it's just not happening. You know, there is no one and done in Moses Moody. There's no Justin Smith who comes in and immediately holds down, you know, that combo forward spot. Yeah. So they just look like a team that don't have an identity right now. And they played a, and they played a soft schedule. Yeah. That's the difference between them being, you know, like a top 20 level program a year ago. and you know, and, and barely being in the top 60 this year. Um, you know, and I really think like one of the things we talked about Arkansas a lot kind of coming into the season and man, I ended up somehow getting talked into having them third. Um, we thought they were closer to like what, sixth or seventh. I, yeah. Like I, I really look, I just didn't like the makeup. You know, because a big thing for me is the the teams that the teams that I think usually end up being in the top four all have NBA level talent. Guys who you just know are, you know, potential pros. Particularly and last at the year, guard position. Yeah, like last year, while going into the season, maybe a lot of people didn't peg Moses Moody as a guy who was you know, likely to be a lottery pick or even a first rounder. Love you, Moses. Um, but, but he became that guy, right? So when you looked at this Arkansas roster, they had a lot of nice college players. Like Likes is a nice college player. Amudi is a nice college player. You know, even Note, you know, is a guy who's a nice college basketball player. But none of those guys are pros, at least, at least in the NBA. Um, this felt like you a know, transitional roster for Muss. And I felt like a lot of national analysts were saying, we're putting this team in the top 15, top 20. I was like, no, the team that could be really good is the one he has next year. <laughs> yeah, when he's got two five stars uh, of Nick Smith and Jordan Walsh and Darian Ford hey. coming in, who's a true point guard. Joseph Pinon can shoot the ball. He's got Barry Dunning, who's like the Alabama Mr. Basketball, who's not mentioned at all here if he can keep davis if he can keep williams and robinson like he's next year's team is the one where you go holy crap 
this year felt like everyone was like looking at, and I think we all felt people fall into the trap that they look at March and they go, Oh man, some pieces coming back from an elite eight team. One that played three teams below number 10 in, in seed line and got smacked around by Baylor. But everyone saw elite eight, saw some pieces coming back and said top 15, top 20. I think this is an NCAA tournament team. Don't get me wrong. This team as constructed should be, should be an NCAA tournament team. But they're not currently. They are not currently. And I think the issue here is one, as you've highlighted, the roster is just not as talented as it was a year ago. And two, I think they've had problems. This is a issue I thought was going to happen for Musk when he got to Arkansas was now you have to take now you're trying to get those top flight in state kids or regional kids. And they're not coming in to sit. They're going to eventually expect to have major roles. And if you keep going into the portal and recruiting over them, you're going to create a situation where I think you're going to have a continuity issue. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that right now. I think, you know, Muss has shown that he's been able to figure this stuff out. But an 0-3 start is not the is certainly compounds the pressure they're going to feel. And I think it helps that they get a Missouri team coming in on Wednesday, you know, a team that, you know, struggles to score offensively here. But I do think there's some, like against Alabama, I think there's some ways Missouri can give itself a chance here. But if this Arkansas team plays the way it should, it has ball handling, which Missouri lacks. It, you know, doesn't have great shooting, but it has, you know, Davis can shoot the ball a little bit. Tony can shoot the ball a little bit. So they've got that. And I think they've got the kind of physicality defensively to make life tough on Missouri. What they don't have is size. And I feel like that's going to be kind of the tipping point here for Missouri is I think Missouri can make them pay for being a little bit smaller outside of Jalen Williams. But, you know, this is a, this is a must win now for, for Arkansas. It, you know, they cannot go 0 4 here and cannot lose to a, a sub 150 team in Kim Palm. Right. It's it, it, they they it just can't happen. This is a Rubicon for them, so we'll see if they're focused. So yeah, so kind of I believe this is a point I probably started ten or fifteen minutes ago, <laughs> but sorry, as we are want to do, like sometimes our uh, conversation gets derailed a little bit. So you know, Missouri as a trend is, uh, like. Where is this program going to be at the end of the year? Is like is the game against Alabama a first step or is it an outlier? Now, evidence so far would point to the fact that it's an outlier. So if you go into Arkansas and so far this year, like Missouri on the road. Um, not good. Not good. Like, I think you could say they've been bad, Matt. Uh, a 20 point loss to Liberty a 40-point loss to Kansas. Uh, what was the difference at 23-point loss on a neutral floor to Florida State. 27-point loss, I think, to Kentucky. I, yeah, I, w- I wasn't looking at neutrals. I was just looking at true road. Uh, I was looking um, away from home. Yeah, so roughly 30 points to Kentucky, 40 points to Kansas, 20... Was it just 21 points? That's you know, Liberty plays so slow that 21 points is basically like 40 points, right? Um, but yeah, so 
it's it's been bad on the road so far. Uh, and and really, like Bud Walton is not a easy place to win for a lot of people, unless apparently you're Vanderbilt this year. Um, or Hofstra, right? Hofstra beat him. That was in Little um, Rock, though. Was it in Little Rock? Yep. Uh, okay, so Mississippi State and Texas A&M uh, were away games for them. But, so they've got like the one uh, road loss to or home loss, sorry, to to Vandy. From Missouri to like make this a contest. I think now you're starting to believe like their performance against Alabama is more of a theme, right? Really? Like it, you don't have to win the game. But if you get blown out, then you're basically hitting reset on any expectations versus uh, versus trying to build them back up. And I think like the next two games are really important because we need to see that this is a trend and that Missouri is more capable of of being competitive than what they've been this year. You, you want to see it with Kim Palm has a projected margin of 12. You'd want to see it within that margin, less than that margin. To me, that would be sign a sign of progress. If you take advantage of Alabama botching the scout, and then you go into Bud Walton, you keep it to a single digit margin, and it's competitive. Then I think you go, okay, you know that's there's something. But you know, again, we always have to see how it looks. But broadly, you'd go, okay, that that's better. That that's improved. To me, the Texas A&M game is is one where I think if you are better, if Alabama was a legitimate harbinger of improvement, you win that Texas A&M game. Maybe it's not a blowout, but but you look solid, you look in command. And that's something I've said a lot. I don't need Missouri to blow teams out of the water here. I don't need them to look elite. You want them to just look comfortable and in control of a game and of game flow. And I feel like A&M is one of those games. It's at home. a and a little bit of a mystery. They've played a softer schedule. You know, they've got two top 50 win, top 100 wins, you know, one over Notre Dame, and then last weekend over Arkansas, but Arkansas is stumbling a little bit. To me, the A&M game at home on Saturday is one you win. You get to two and two, you've held serve at home, and you can now begin to, come out of a little bit of that tough stretch and think, okay, maybe, maybe we can string something together because then you get, you go to Ole Miss and, you know, maybe if you can pick one up there, you're, you're, you have a little bit of house money, but these next three games really are one where I think you're going to have to, in the next 10 days or where we're going to see. <laughs> just, just realize a couple of weeks they have to go to Alabama. I'm 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 willing to bet money that Alabama shoots like sixty percent from three. And oh God, they're they're going to be locked in for that one. <laughs> Coleman, that's going to be a bloodbath in Coleman probably. But but then you got to go. Then you get Auburn at home, and then you got to go to a much better than you think Florida State. So or Iowa State. So you got three games here really to try and you know get some momentum, try and make this you know durable get some of these changes entrenched and then hope that you can maybe steal one at Iowa state, you know, after two times. Yeah. Two I, I, I think like the, you know, the goal here. Is, and again, like I am always, I'm always less about wins and losses when your team is bad and more about like how it looks. Um, 
if you're competitive over the next three games, you probably are going to win one of them. Right. Uh, and then you just have to like maintain a little bit uh, because you have like Auburn's not going to be fun to play against. Um, God, no. You're, you're probably going to get housed at Alabama. Um, Iowa State on the road, like that's a tough place to play. Iowa State's a lot better. They're, they're not like I'm still not convinced they're quite as good as uh, their ranking. Um, I think Ken Palm has them in the top 40. Uh, 38th. That's, that still feels a little high. Like, let's see. Let's see where they are, maybe. I mean, they just lost on the road at Oklahoma by 13. Right. To me, the, the game... Like, let's, let's see where they are, maybe, by the middle of... Uh, <laughs> to me, it's, it's always going to be, how play. do you look against A&M? How do you look at Ole Miss? How do you look at Iowa State? How do you look at A&M or at Vandy or home against Ole Miss? Those are the games but, where... But you can beat Florida at home. You could, but I'm just saying, like, you look at the schedule and the ones where I think you want to see obvious progress are those games. Those are the ones, to me, where I think you want to see this team look like it's taking consistent steps forward here. Um, but the A&M game is, is going to be an interesting one. If they can pick off that one, you know, two and two, again, fans aren't going to get up in arms there. But if you're just winning games at home, you know, then I think you can maybe, you know, they can drag this thing towards something sellable to get a reboot for next year. So A&M's big. I think if you're trying, if the staff and is trying to sell itself on, on getting another crack or another bite at the apple. So that, that's one I'm looking, I, I'm probably more focused on. If they can keep it, yeah. if they can keep it close at Arkansas and keep it respectable, fine. But A&M is the one that, that I think looms larger for them. What's well, almost like you know, uh, our esteemed colleague uh, Matt Watkins was uh, uh, talking on the chat about South Carolina, and you know, and Frank Martin has sort of just he has a way of having teams sort of sleepwalk their way through the non-conference schedule and lose a couple games they probably shouldn't lose, maybe win a game they probably shouldn't win, get housed in one. Yeah, get absolutely slaughtered by somebody. Look horrible. Uh, and the next thing you know, like they're winning 10 games in the SEC. <laughs> like that's just, and it almost feels like, you know, they're they're off to a uh, a decent start. Um, you know, they're one and one. They they lost to Auburn. Everybody's going to lose to Auburn this year. Auburn Auburn looks really good. Um, you know, they, they, they beat Vandy on the road. Um, that's one. You, that, Ten- that's one you need to Tennessee. get. Yeah, so we're recording this Monday night. We're actually recording while the championship game is going on because Matt and I really don't care much about college football. Um, if it's not our fair Missouri Tigers, Matt, who cares, right? I mean, it's also <laughs> a convenient time for us to do this. Um, uh, but yeah, so tomorrow South Carolina takes on Tennessee at Tennessee. I think that'll be a. a a fair indication on uh, on what what we might be able to see from the the Gamecocks the rest of the year, but I like the idea of like South Carolina just mucking up the league and winning ten games, and then like Missouri just like finding a way to like six or seven wins that they probably shouldn't have otherwise, uh, and they're already kind of on that road. Like, there's no reason why Missouri should beat Alabama. None. Like, it, like Alabama, 
Alabama should be in contention for a protected seed with the talent that they have on the roster. Uh, and teams like that don't lose to teams like Missouri on the road and in, in, in conference play in front of, you know, like 8,000 people. They're bad defensively. Like, I think that that's, there's no other way to put it. They've slid almost 55 spots in defensive efficiency. Lost to Iona. Memphis is, they lost to Memphis by 14. Lost to Davidson in Birmingham and then lost to Missouri. Like, they're just, if you're a protected seed, you don't lose those games. And defense is what's letting them down. But. Yeah, they, what do you think? Like, more like a six seed, seven seed? Probably. That's right. Yeah, I mean, they're still probably going to win, like, 12 games in league play. Probably. But this is what we've said, which is there there are no elite teams in this conference. Maybe maybe Auburn is. Maybe Auburn will wind up being one. But from everything I've seen, I don't see any other elite level team here. Yeah, that, that's still kind of crazy to me that like Auburn has been the guard. The guard play has been better than we thought. Way better than we thought. Wendell Green, familiar name. <sighs> he was in the portal right there for the taking. One of the best pick and roll operators in the country as a freshman, just sitting right there. Missouri had a relationship with his father, known his father forever, recruited him out of high school, was in contact last spring with him. Nothing happened. That's a point guard. What do they need, Sam? Point guard. Right. (laughs) But so, well, and honestly, like, you know, not to, sidetrack this into other like sec thoughts like katie johnson's been better than i thought he would be uh jasper's is just elite rim protector and jabari smith is probably the best freshman in the country right now they've just the 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 backcourt's done a great job i mean wendell greens i thought he would scale up well zep jasper's done a really nice job buying into that program you know alan flanagan's really good you know devin cambridge is a guy who's been around forever they just and they don't drop off defensively. I think that's the thing that's so impressive about them is no matter who cycles in, they guard their ass off. And I think that that's that's what's so impressive there is they've got the depth of perimeter defenders, but that link behind it is yeah. is just really really good. But um, they they get after you like with the with the ball pressure, and then they back that up with Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith at the rim. <sighs> so so good luck and then, like they take those guys out like even uh cardwell's yeah like, he's a solid rim protector he's, he's been good the how much have you been able to see of the aggies this year i've i watched them against arkansas i saw them a little against wisconsin earlier in the year but the schedule was such garbage that i was like i didn't know how much i was really going to take away it's still bad it's still 306 but I like Marcus Williams. He seems like he's a he's a fun guard for them, more of a scoring point. Radford's kind of a bulldog, undersized wing. Um, Henry Coleman looks like I, I don't know if he's a key cog, but he's done a nice job in the post, being you know a guy who can give him some rebounding. He can kind of make some plays around the rim when guards penetrate. Um, they don't need Andre Gordon as much as we thought they would, or as much as they did a year ago. I mean. Well, yeah, so we even said before the season, you know, that I think Gordon was sort of going to be a harbinger of, like, where A&M was. Like, if they were relying on him more, I thought their ceiling was low. The less they relied on him, I thought their ceiling went up, you know, because that means that you're turning to guys that, frankly, just are, like, more talented. And nothing against Gordon. I think he's a 
I think he's a fine guy, but you know, to me, it, it it's sort of a lot like Javon Pickett. Like I, you know, not to hate on Pickett here, but I think one of the things that holds Missouri back is the fact that like Javon is just kind of limited, and he's 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 a decent high major college basketball player, but he's not a good one. Um, and he's not a guy that you can rely on consistently and expect to get production out of. And and so like the more Missouri relies on a guy like Javon Pickett, like and again, he's gonna have games like he he did against Alabama and, and last few years against Illinois and and here and there he's gonna pick his spots where he's gonna go off. But you cannot rely on that. And I think like that's the thing with Gordon is Gordon would have moments where you're like, all right, like this guy's, you know, he looks good. He's taking a step. He's making these shots. But, you know, consistently it just it's it's tough to ask a guy like that to do that. And so when you turn those possessions over uh to someone more like Tyrese Radford, who's been a little bit more consistent, uh, like his previous stuff, he was, you know, recruited at Virginia Tech by Buzz Williams. Uh, you know, Marcus Williams is another guy like just Guys that are more likely to be efficient in their, uh, in their offense. Yeah, I mean Williams is coming and taking over the primary ball handling role. Radford's a wing, but he kind of wants to play downhill off the catch. He can shoot it a little bit, but he also wants to get to the paint and, and make something happen. Quentin Jackson was a starter for him last year. He's coming off the bench and just wants to get after it and you know play downhill. And you know that's really opened up something for Gordon to just. Be like a guy who's getting like eleven percent usage and just spacing. When like he can shoot the ball a little bit, and you know sometimes they'll play four guards, but they can put Ethan Henderson in, who's an Arkansas transfer. Not remarkable, but he can give them some size. Uh, they've having Williams and Radford come in, and we've talked about this before. You know, even last year with a guy like Drew Bugs, it just makes the offense may it just makes all the roles make more sense. Everybody can click into a spot where they're more, where they fit more naturally. And I think they've got that right now. It's just, they're really small. <laughs> they're, they are really young. They, this is a team with a lot of transfers. So they're like Missouri. They don't have a ton of continuity, but you know, they've, they have point guard. They've got a couple guys who can play off the bounce and they've got an, a nice looking kind of big in Henry Coleman, who I think can improve as time goes along. We just haven't seen them against a lot of really good teams. But again, like with Arkansas, I think there's enough size there that if Missouri can get on the glass and can make some things happen, you know, maybe they have a mismatch with Kobe Brown, you know, on a smaller, you know, when AM goes small, you know, maybe they've got something and they can make it happen. It's in Columbia. This feels like a game where it's going to be two teams, you know, that we thought were kind of in that 10 to 12 range. You know, this, these are the kinds of games that determine pecking order, and if you get them on your home floor, you have to hold serve. So really interested to see what AM looks like when they come to the building uh, later this week. Yeah, this uh, AM looks to me a lot more like a team that should probably be about like 80 to 85 in Kempom versus like 65. And that may- uh, I, I think this is a game that like you can reasonably expect to be competitive. Um, it just you know for Missouri it's always going to come down to like can they make enough shots and um you know hopefully hopefully Saturday is some kind of indication that they're able to be a little bit more consistent in that and I think you and I have said before like you don't have to be 
for, for Missouri to be decent, like they don't have to be 40% shooters from three. They just need to be 35, be 25, 30 or 35 you know? would be basically average, yeah, like, be an average shooting team from deep. Yeah. You just have to make some <laughs> instead of like none. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, go ahead. No, it just, it interesting week. Uh, theme of the week is I think they can maybe carry some momentum forward if, if, if if they've really improved. So we'll see. Winning and making shots is always more fun uh, than losing and, and not making shots. Uh, so a big week. Um, Missouri, again, plays Wednesday at Bud Walton Arena uh, against the Arkansas Razorbacks. Uh, Sunday at home against Texas A&M. Uh, game time, um, I believe, is 8 o'clock Central for... The Arkansas game Wednesday and mm-hmm. uh and two thirty on SC Network against Texas AM. So uh with the game wrapping up, uh college fo- football playoff wrapping up tonight, it is officially Matt, it's officially basketball season. Mm-hmm. Uh and we're it's gonna be all basketball all the time. Yep, it will be. Um, I would I would really like for Missouri to be more competitive so we can actually, you know, be excited and 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 look forward to basketball games. Like for a while there, it's like kind of dreading. I actually, I was actually at a, at side project brewery for the first half of the game. I, I, I watched it. I was just, I was waiting. They, they did have it. They did have a TV there and it was on the TV. So I was keeping an eye on it. I was just waiting for that opening stretch to be Missouri's lone half or lone little bit of offensive company competency. And I was, I was mildly surprised. Thank you, Alabama, for making that possible. Um, but uh, also, they got a gift last week, so that's good too. Maybe, hopefully, there's more uh, gifts in the in the future. Maybe some some other stuff they can announce to uh, enhance the program as well. It was a good week overall for them. Got a win and got five million bucks. So we'll see if that can keep going. Exactly. So uh, I I think we're gonna wrap this up. Um, God bless. Uh, meet.google.com for a uh, little interruption there. But uh, but Missouri has two big games. Uh, Matt and I are going to return again for more recording of podcasting. Uh, one of these days we're going to get Watkins on and, and get this figured out. Um, I think we've, we've threatened with uh, letting him come on like after like a big road loss. Like that, Those are always fun to podcast after. Uh, Matt, do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here? Nope, I'm all good. We're, we're going to keep this under an hour. We've done it. I, I'm excited. Uh, you, you know me. I, 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 I like that. Uh, I like I like those quick podcasts. Uh, not that an hour is quick. Uh, well, there's not but, ten minutes of there's not ten minutes of griping. So that, yeah, that, cut that. It, it helps. Um, so next week we'll be back on Monday. Um, Make sure you're subscribed because if you're subscribed and these get beamed right down to your phone uh, and you also get to listen to, to BK and Nate, who I think are, are doing a great job explaining all things Mizzou football before the box score. Uh, please rate the podcast. Give us uh, five stars. If you if you have not, leave a nice little review. That would be great. Um, please do not issue a review based upon how Missouri basketball plays. Uh, rate our performance as a podcast team Uh, and even if you don't like listening to this podcast please be nice 
I, I feel like, Matt, I feel like you're a nice guy. I try to be a nice guy. We try to try to be nice and carry it forward. So uh, please be nice. Leave, leave, us, uh, leave a review and, uh, and follow Matt on Twitter. Ignore me on Twitter. We will be back next week, uh, maybe with two Mats. And until then, thanks for tuning in.